on banners, in the streets, and through the cyberspace. People in China are speaking out. Fire regime constantly flaunting its over 90% approval rate. What does dissent really look like in China? From angry flood victims smashing the walls of state buildings to a seven-year high in Chinese factory strikes, plus faith versus police, a standoff between residents and the police in a Chinese Muslim town. What does the apparent unrest signify for China's future? Welcome to China in Focus. I'm Tiffany Meyer. Half a year without a paycheck. A banner held by dozens of workers on Wednesday bore the message in bold print. The workers were reportedly from a state-backed broadcasting network in a southern Chinese city. Now they're demanding what they've described as unpaid wages. According to previous reports, the TV station is a state-owned Chinese Communist Party enterprise that pays well and provides benefits. But as China's economy suffers from slowing economic growth, record youth unemployment and a local debt crisis, wage hunting is becoming a trend across the country. Another recent demonstration took place in China's central Henan province. A video shared online shows hundreds of teachers staging a strike and a sit-in at the entrances of two local high schools. They were protesting against the school's failure to pay staff for several months. In another video, hundreds of retired teachers in northeast China gathered to support a mass petition. A report says their pensions had not yet been paid. Former Chinese journalist Zhao Lanjian has been closely following the recent incidents. He told Voice of America that no one acted aggressively, but noted the peaceful demonstrations are a forced expression under the current Chinese society. He explained Chinese authorities go on high alert whenever there's a hint of a crowd gathering. Armed forces are often mobilized to suppress the demonstrations. During China's three-year pandemic lockdowns, Zhao described a kind of spiritual awakening among the Chinese public. He says it inspired people to openly criticize the country's leadership. Anger is bubbling over among a group of Chinese investors, and recent protests have erupted across the country over real estate issues. Tuesday in South China's Sichuan, house buyers marched in protest over their unfinished homes that they already paid for. Some reportedly faced beatings from police. Video captured one woman collapsed on the ground. The same day, along the east coast in Zhejiang, victims of a similar issue were seen demonstrating in front of a local bank, demanding the institution return their money. That's after banking issues led a property developer to suspend construction on their homes due to lack of funding. China's capital, Beijing, later stepped in. On Monday, unidentified men were seen egging on protesters. Police officers on the scene paid him little attention. Comments online have drawn attention to the apparent organization of the incident, with a group of men in white shirts attacking protesters, with others holding up a tall signboard, possibly to block public view of the incident. Police troops were sent in as well, but largely stood on the sidelines. 
Later on, protesters that refused to leave were removed by the police. The demonstration was organized after China's biggest private trust company, Zhongrong International Trust, missed its payments date. A number of financial companies inside China are facing similar crises, with nearly three-quarters of their investments staked in the country's struggling real estate market. So far, the sum of missed payments has reached over $5.3 billion. Similar protests have broken out in other parts of China. China's blank paper movement topped the list last year as the country's most well-known protest. At the time, demonstrators broke out nationwide. With more uncertainty growing across the country, here's a closer look at what drove the striking events. Protesters took the right aim at the ruling communist regime. The protest spread to Beijing and about a dozen other Chinese cities. The unrest came just a month after Xi Jinping secured a third term in power, the first Chinese leader since Mao Zedong to do so. It effectively allows him to rule for life. But public dissent against him is rising, spurred on by China's three years of draconian lockdown measures. Outside Shanghai, more calls for his resignation came from the southwestern city of Chengdu. And in China's capital, Beijing, crowds gather to demand freedom. Police rode into big cities where protests broke out. Cruisers lined the streets in places like Beijing, Shanghai, and Shenzhen. Beijing quietly began rounding up people involved in the movement. International Press Freedom Watchdog Reporters Without Borders, or RSF, revealed that over 100 demonstrators were detained in China. One of them was Li Xiqi, a graduate from Goldsmith University of London. Another was vigil participant Cao Zhixin. Beijing authorities are quick to squash public displays of dissent that could undermine his rule. Chinese citizens are getting more daring in speaking out against the Chinese regime's policies. That's after three years of lockdowns that trapped millions in their homes with limited access to food and health care. Amid the rising social anger, we'd like to look back on another round of protests. This February, Chinese authorities slashed health insurance benefits across several cities. Residents started reporting they could no longer afford their medications. A play on China's pandemic-era white paper revolution, the movement was dubbed the White Hair Revolution, owing to most protesters being retirees. Tens of thousands rallied in Wuhan and Dalian. Police were seen violently dispersing elderly protesters, in some cases hitting or kicking them and using pepper spray. At least five were arrested in Wuhan. Shanghai residents joined the movement soon after. Videos showed crowds singing in the streets to a tune called The International. It features lyrics like Arise, Slaves Suffering, Hunger and Cold, Arise Sufferers All Over the World, My Blood is Boiling, I Want to Fight for the Truth. 
Many protesters vowed to continue speaking out despite risks of detention. That's not all for recent social anger inside China. Another group staged similar rallies, pushing back against banks they say held their savings hostage. A group of protesters gathered on a bridge in China this July to speak out. Here's more. These protesters are among the victims of a huge banking scandal. The incident triggered mass outrage in China, tied to millions of dollars worth of residents' life savings. The clashes broke out in China's central Zhengzhou last July. Hundreds of residents gathered because their life savings were at risk of vanishing. After rural banks froze millions of dollars worth of their deposits starting in April, that money made up the livelihoods of hundreds of thousands of customers. Protesters held banners and signs asking banks to return their life savings. Authorities stationed a heavy police presence at the scene. Officers tried to disperse the crowd. If you do not leave and if you continue to disrupt society, the police will take stern action. Footage shows a female protester getting dragged down steps. Another protester also beaten and dragged by security guards. A local bank customer told NTD that the money was all they had. Some families have sick children and need the money to get surgery. Because they can't recover their money, some children already passed away. A lot of tragedies like this will happen. If we can't get our money back, we don't know how we'll survive. Chinese authorities relented following the rare protest. In a statement, local authorities said they would start returning money to the bank's customers and that payment would come in batches, though some protesters reported that they never got their money back. A shocking statement from Britain's parliament. For the first time, an official document describes Taiwan as an independent country, crossing a major red line for diplomacy with Beijing. The phrase is featured in a report from the Influential Foreign Affairs Committee under the House of Commons. It reads, Taiwan possesses all the qualifications for statehood, including a permanent population, a defined territory, government, and the capacity to enter into relations with other states. It is only lacking greater international recognition. Chinese Foreign Ministry spokesperson Wang Wenbing immediately criticized the document, while well, a spokesperson for Taiwan's Foreign Ministry thanked Parliament for its support. Driven by the U.K. report, Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer was asked if Congress, or at least the U.S. Senate, should do the same and refer to Taiwan as an independent country. Here's his reply. No, I think that with the present situation is where we should stay. The White House maintains its current Taiwan stance. President Joe Biden has repeatedly said the U.S. would defend Taiwan if China invades. Updates from a just-concluded summit between the members of the Association of Southeast Asian Nations. As leaders of the member countries grow closer, ships from China and the Philippines are too. On Friday, Chinese vessels surrounded Philippine ships, getting within just a few dozen yards. That's in the disputed South China Sea. The confrontation happened near the Second Thomas Shoal, just 450 miles from the Philippines, but nearly 2,000 miles from China. Both nations claim the region as their own. The incident comes after another close call less than a month ago, when China fired water cannons at a Philippine boat. 
Defense ministers from Australia and the Philippines agreed Friday to meet annually to counter rising threats in the Indo-Pacific region. The two nations held joint drills last month. Another big story to look out for, an increasingly divided global landscape. How will the G20 summit play out this weekend in New Delhi? And how should Washington navigate the dynamics? An in-depth report on the event and more coming up Monday on China in Focus. Beijing is facing its worst COVID outbreak. Around 250 million people were infected during the first weeks of December. China had reported only 37 deaths caused by COVID-19. We urge China to be fully transparent about what's going on. We do know that we don't know the cases right now. The BBC has found evidence of a considerable COVID death toll in China's rural areas. If you visit local crematoriums, there's a lot of people have died. WHO still believes that uh, deaths are heavily underreported from China. The regime's prestige is based upon this idea that they are really good managers of of everything that's going on in the country. And if if, uh, the COVID numbers are not supporting that, well, one way to address that problem is to eliminate the COVID numbers, right? Within eight days, I lost five close relatives. The information that we got at the front end of this thing uh, wasn't perfect and has led us now to a place where much of the challenge we face today... It's very important uh, for us to be on the same page. That is what China has not allowed to happen. If you cannot get real data from China, all your estimations will be way off. My close relatives, among them, there are four died already. That is from one family. We calculated how long each furnace burns, and then we came back to make an overall estimate, which is around 380 million. But coming up today, China's economy is in big trouble. That's according to Miles Yu. He heads the China Center at the Hudson Institute and served as former advisor on China to U.S. Secretary of State Mike Pompeo. So what are the risks and the opportunities in China's troubled economy? American thought leaders host Yanni Kellek sat down with Miles Yu for details. More on that after the break here on China in Focus. Welcome back to China in Focus. I'm Tiffany Meyer. How does China's standing hold up in the eyes of the international community? And will its slowed economy stall Beijing's march toward global dominance? American Thought Leaders host Yanya Kellick spoke to Miles Yu, head of the China Center at the Hudson Institute and a former advisor on China to U.S. Secretary of State Mike Pompeo for more. There's a lot of discussion about how the U.S. economy is actually in quite a bit of trouble. Um, You're talking about how the Chinese economy is in a lot of trouble. So how is it in trouble? The United States economy obviously uh, follows the market. Market is very volatile. There will be ups and there will be downs. But, you know, uh, American economy is based on sometimes very solid. That is uh, American ingenuity, tremendous spirit of innovation. Uh, so, um, and also uh, smart economic decisions uh, made not only by the government, but also by different uh, 
companies that operate in a free and open uh, um, environment. So overall, uh, there is a tremendous institutional advantages of the uh, of, uh, uh, American economy. The Chinese economy is different. Chinese economy is pretty predatory, right? It's a, uh, it's basically benefits from the international free trade system. Uh, and almost China's entire economic growth in the last 20 some 30 years, uh, economic growth has come from the non-state sectors. Uh, and so now the, 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 the China's financial institution is collapsing. So the Chinese government, particularly local government, is trying to squeeze the non-state sectors and basically driving them out of business. I mean, particularly through the policies such as zero COVID uh, lockdowns and all kinds of uh, egregious taxation schemes. So many of the Chinese uh, uh, non-state uh, sectors, they, they, the most vibrant, uh, the most innovative sector of the Chinese economy is now um, in big trouble. So because uh, uh, they have to pay up uh, to the state and particularly local governments. So. Uh, uh, during the three years of COVID lockdowns, millions, millions of small business, uh, medium-sized business are out of business. And also for the big uh, ones, the, uh, the one that has enormous wealth and the influence in, uh, in China, the Chinese Communist Party basically move in and take over, like Alibaba, like Tencent. That's not how free market economy works. As a matter of fact, no international financial institution, no major Western free market economy uh, has recognized China as a free market economy. That fact is, it itself um, uh, provides a very powerful impetus for the free world to reconsider China's membership in the free uh, trade system. Basically, this was part of the issue with the economy. These lockdowns had devastating you know, economic and social effects. You're basically just saying that in China, this was magnified because of the severity. Yes, yeah, I mentioned uh, 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 national zero COVID lockdowns as one of the many factors that has caused China's uh, economy into near collapse right now. Many, many other reasons that are much more institutional. For example, one of the reasons is the China's development model. China's development model is to basically issue tremendous amount of, uh, uh, of, of loans to some of the non-performing projects, particularly the housing industry. But now that uh, housing market is collapsed because it's built upon illusion, about the fantasy and the mirage. So uh, with the collapse of the housing industry and those loans cannot be re retrieved. And so the banking industry is losing a lot of money and the government uh, at all levels are out of money because China's uh, uh, banks are all owned by the state. And so when banking industry is in trouble and uh, you got a credit crunch and, uh, and then you have more business uh, closings, uh, so uh, it's a sort of a chain reaction. Much of the local government's spending finances has come from the exploitation of the housing um, industry in the last several years because the, the, the state government controlled the land so they can sell the land, resell the land, speculate on land. But now with the collapse of housing, you cannot do that anymore. So that's why uh, virtually every province of China has run huge uh, deficit because they simply run out of money. And the government um, cannot really uh, sort of bail them out completely. That's why China is actually uh, wishing to um, get more international banking uh, agencies, institutions in 
to to salvage the collapsing economy. I hope that uh, you know uh, the the global financial institutions and banks were smart enough not to see through this this big hot potato in China. I just read this uh, report from uh, Goldman Sachs uh, yesterday, and it says that three of the top China's five banks are in big trouble, and even Goldman Sachs uh, is recommending just uh, you know uh, shorting those uh, uh, state-owned banks. Uh, that's pretty telling. So, Miles, do I hear you making a prediction here? Um, I don't think I can predict anything, but I'm confident there is a logic of history, as the Chinese Communist Party always says. The Chinese Communist Party does not represent the Chinese people. So people want to have a different alternative, and that's really the key, because uh, Chinese Communist Party's preoccupation uh, is to provide, to prevent at any cost any potential alternative to the model of governance represented by the Chinese Communist Party. China's uh, con con party's control of the society is either you have to be 100% tight, draconian, or you don't control at all. So because any crack in that system is going to create, is going to open a floodgate, and then which will lay the foundation for the demise of this regime. The Biden administration said we're not decoupling. They've made that very clear. What is it that can be a win for the U.S. in this reality? The only way to win for the United States and for the rest of the world is for China to change its behavior, pure and, pure and simple. Decoupling has never been policy of, of any government, and not only uh, uh, just for the United States, Japan, Europe, nobody is talking about decoupling. But decoupling is happening in reality. The decoupling is, is happening at the corporation level. Every major corporation must assess its investments in China, whether it's safe, whether it's sound, uh, or whether uh, it runs a risk of being replaced by a state-sponsored, subsidized Chinese company. So that's why many major companies, I would say almost every major company uh, that has heavy investment in China is reconsidering uh, uh, its investment in China and are thinking about getting out of China precisely because the kind of economic reality uh, as depicted by Goldman Sachs, as depicted by a lot of policy uh, 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 um, reports that about China's environment. China is not a very good uh, country uh, for uh, long-term investment. It's a hostile investment environment. That's why uh, for the U.S. to win, the Chinese Communist Party must change it, the way it behaves. That's all for today's China in Focus. I'm Tiffany Meyer. If you have any feedback on the show or have something you'd like to see us cover, send us an email at chinainfocusntd.com. We'd love to hear from you. Thanks for watching. See you soon.